Welcome to High on the Hog with Merrill Schindler and co-hosts Joanna Belson and Janice Hardoon. This is a podcast about all things cannabis. Tune in every week as Merrill, Joanna, and Janice discuss the medical benefits of CBD and THC products with each other, as well as with informed guests from the cannabis industry and the lawmakers who regulate it. Enjoy the show. You know, here on High and the Hog, the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher and High and the Hog, the podcast.com, look for us, listen to us, you are right now. We often talk about the products. We often talk about CBD, THC, what it all means. But the deeper we get into this, the more we come to realize there is a world and there are worlds around the worlds. It's the complexity of this is so is so staggering. And that's why we have Ruben Honig in studio, who's the executive director of the United Cannabis Business Association. What do that mean? Many words there. It's a lot of words. And there are so many organizations out there that it, people call it alphabet soup. It's called the, people generally know it by the UCBA, but the UCBA represents uh, licensed retailers in the city of Los Angeles, as well as throughout California, with an office in Sacramento as well. So it's it's really a uh, a trade association that advocates on behalf of their members municipally in Los Angeles and statewide uh, in Sacramento for all of California. What complexities do you run into? And I mean, we've got Janice Hardoon here from K Town Collective and um, the Antidote. And Janice, you've often spoken about the maze of of regulations that you have to regularly negotiate, which seem to change moment by moment. It's constantly changing. We were talking before we started the podcast about how it would have been nice for them to have cleaned the slate and built a nice foundation from going from the medical moving forward to adult use. But I guess we're going to go backwards and get a broom and clean it up now, huh, Ruben? As as we hear over and over again, it it is a long conversation. Um, Cannabis is, is not a new thing, even though uh, politicians and people will say it is a new thing and they're starting. But this regulated industry is, is a new thing, and it's, it has its complexities. You're going from relatively the wild, wild west, um, to really gray market atmosphere in California, even though there was medical. There, were, there was a loose, a loose structure for medical uh, stores and for patients, but you know, we're moving into a highly regulated industry where the margins are tighter, the co- there's costs of compliance. It's it's not the way that it, that it originally it's kind of was. History it really... re- it's like history repeating, its play, uh, history repeating itself as we go from when we had the alcohol. Yeah, and now we're going to go from... From prohibition to something. But when 2016, when, when legalization happened, when Prop 64 was voted on in November in 2016, you know, in January 1st, you know, we, when Janice started selling adult use for the first time and, and you know a small handful of dispensaries did in Los Angeles there was a uh, it, it was it was just a complicated time because uh, the consumer didn't necessarily know the difference between legality and illegality there's still no one really knows no I can tell you even as the shop owner in 2012 when they came knocking on my door oh so not pleasantly we had to explain um, what was city regulation what was state regulation and while we were violating federal regulation. Right, and it was it was a risk you were taking and you, you barely had protection from the city, right? There was... They actually came to my aid in the end, but it's something that you don't forget. It's something that you know that happened. Um, 
it's now that we're going full circle to get up here to now these rules and regulations yet it's not the wild wild west and not like my attorney's going to call and say i think you need to not be at work today <laughs> um so it has changed um they're making progress but i don't think i think that people look at it like it's going to be this golden parachute to save the universe and that all the tax monies and every the revenues that are going to come through are going to save society and it's just not going to happen that way it's the same thing if you go back and you look at the internet boom maybe they thought enron was going to save society because they were going to have an oil line from alaska to texas i was hoping it could at least save the children and the schools with the tax money it's bringing in so that's i mean that's that's well, first a, you need regulations it's a great thing and that's that's a great point that you make because you know there are shortfalls at the state there are shortfalls in the city of los angeles all we talk about is tax money shortfalls but as janice was saying and i like to always say this is that people see that have been making the regulations have been looking at the cannabis industry through this veil this green veil of money and really from you know reverse engineering how much money they can get and then and then figuring it out from there however you know with this dual licensing process in california there are many cities i think 80 70 80 percent don't even they don't even allow it's a ban they, they don't even allow it and then the state is trying to figure out band-aids and fixes to try to to make to you know expand the market out in the city of los angeles we have you know a massive city people always say oh why couldn't you learn from from colorado why can't you learn from washington and oregon the cat was already out of the bag the in the of, state of california and the city of los angeles's market is bigger right. is bigger than all those and, and is as big as canada so it's a totally different animal it's been a, extremely complicated janice is very fortunate to have to be on the legal side right now and people say it's a golden ticket no fortunate in that huh. you know she's, she's it's a, not she's a golden paid, ticket i paid my dues it wasn't yeah. a golden ticket you no pay, you paid i, I your was dues. a pioneer you were the pioneer, and, and really, you know, people like Janice are the reason why I came in later. I've only been in this industry for, for four and a half years, but Janice, you know, came in and really paved the way for people like me to, to continue to help and, and push because it's taken a lot of effort. It's Moving, taken can, can, it, I, huh? can I assume that, can I guess that in terms of money being raised, this is akin to the lottery, which is supposed to pay for all our schools that, of course, never really has that people were looking at this as the golden ticket indeed, and it ain't. I don't know that it's not the golden ticket. I think that what people have lost sight of is that this is an industry like any other industry. It's a business like any other business. And we've spent so much time being the pioneers and the activists and trying to educate the legislators, the law people that are writing the laws that the marijuana family that's especially the pre-ICO original dispensaries that are in LA, we don't have more blood to give. Like we're out of blood. Bled. You're we we bled. bled. We're we're bled out. <laughs> we bled out. We don't even have any Dodger Blue left to do. And <laughs> and I think it's time for people to acknowledge. And I think what UCBA did, which was an excellent thing, is when the dispensaries needed to come together and work as a village they offered that backbone to allow people to come together. How you get the, the cultivators and the manufacturers to fit into that puzzle so that it works like a family and because a dispensary can't rely on its own anymore. I don't care even if you're vertically integrated, you can't do it, the expenses. And there's got to be a common thread and the environment needs to let water seek its own level even in this cannabis industry. And they can't put all the expectations on the goody two-shoes because I'll tell you, I'm exhausted. Like, it really made me, like, 
for all the help I can do to help people. And I do believe this is a miracle plant and it can really help people. They make it so difficult. And I, like we've said so many times here, we've compared cannabis to an antibiotic that you find in the rainforest mm-hmm. and use full spectrum. They need to come back and where history is repeating its place and we talked for a second where they had prohibition and you had Randolph Hearst and he didn't want the hemp plant and all these things. Everyone needs to go back and learn from history. There's a reason why it's there. And it's a reason why these kids need to be in history classes because it's these lessons that are gonna help us be able to carve out to be able to move forward. Everyone's ego kind of needs to get checked at the door, which I think that organizations are coming together and people are doing, I don't know if it's out of frustration, exhaustion, but like for you to take Ruben to take the time to, to head up this organization and do what they do, believe me, they get their head beat off all the time. And it's an organization very few folks out there know about. Well, it's a it's a it's for it's a trade association yeah. that was an offshoot of another trade association. So, but they came together and they were able to to bring a lot of A type personalities together because in the cannabis world, it's not so easy to bring people into your family because. You always have a target on your back. Right. Ruben, how did you become part of the cannabis family? How did you get involved with, with cannabis? Uh, in 1997, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I was living, I'm born and raised in Massachusetts. I was living in Florida at the time, um, probably 17 years into into being chronically ill, mm-hmm. and I was really at my wit's end, and I really, it was very hard to live. It was it was very hard to even have any a semblance of a re, any normal life and to go to work and do things like that. I created a copywriting business at home because I, I couldn't necessarily leave home uh, comfortably ever for a very long time. And that was then that I found out that actually I had family out here, uh, a, a second cousin of mine that was a part owner in a, in a pre-ICO. And, and he hooked me up with a, a doctor, uh, I can say Alan Frankel, in uh, California or he was in, in Southern, in, outside yeah. of LA and yeah, in Topanga. That's yeah, amazing. And, yeah, and he, I, had a call, I had a phone call with him and he said, you need to take these high CBD tinctures and he said you need to make suppositories back then were you able to find such things well I had to do certain things to be able to get them in Florida which was you know I had to commit a federal crime to get better and mm-hmm. it, and it really upset me that I had to do that but I was so grateful and I got ready I'm not gonna say what products they were but they were very high quality California products and they got me well immediately. In 1997, that should have been hard. No, to not in 97. I was originally sick in 97. This was about five oh, years ago. Okay. So five years ago. Got it. This is got after it. 17 years. So I was going to say, in 97, even in California, you couldn't have found no, that. No, no, no. After being sick, yeah. there, you know, there, there were some great medical right. products out there. Um, it's like, the people like that are, by, right. Like Care by Design tinctures. Right. Uh, you know, at that time, right. that, was, that was really, really helpful to me. That's Care why design we were so sort of, vertically uh, integrated, which yeah. because we could control... The products that we were making and we were always very into lab testing from the get-go from the first labs that started so we worked very closely and people that had IBS and Crohn's um, we were able to help them calm their their intestinals so I spent quickly did you feel better was it an instant thing weeks it's crazy it was relatively immediate and my blood work changed very very quickly I, I I still am on some 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 gnarly medication. It, was it, that both CBD and THC? Yeah, it was a you know I think I started at a um, well I stopped smoking cannabis in college because it started making me very very paranoid. So even I was I was living in Colorado along the, the line. I didn't think that cannabis was it made me so anxious. I didn't think that how could that be something that would get me better. I love to smoke now. It's a different, yeah. different, different, different part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But and I'm so happy. Well, that, life life re- makes us paranoid. It's also sometimes Let's not stigma. That. I'm so lucky that like. 
if anything in this world is what got me better, it was cannabis. Yep. It had a big part of it, and that I get to work, even though it's frustrating, as Janice said, I get you know, to work it, in cannabis really every day. It's really kind of amazing, and Janice, I'm sure you hear this all the time, about people who say that the response was immediate. It was a response that my, my daughter um, had to her, her anxiety when she started taking the lozenges that you carry, and she took half of one and called us and said, the anxiety's gone, it's gone. Exactly. Just like that. It wasn't like she took it for a week. She wasn't sure. It's kind of it is kind of subjective. She just said it was gone. No more Ativan, and that's a, that's amazing. Which is amazing. But I also think that you know to speak to my anxiety in college. It, you know now I would if I was back then it would be a little lower and a little slower. Um, it's it was it was a, a lot, right. and it, you know that that was just my how I reacted to it through smoking large levels of cannabis. And how did that make you get into the business? So then I you know I was I helped. I had a soft landing spot. Uh, I was. Uh, I came out to California, and I had family out here. And right. the one that my cousin that helped me helped me move out here. Um, and I actually became a cultivator. He was teaching me how to, we were teaching me how to cultivate, and I was attached to that pre ICO. So it was. Mm. And by the way, the rules were it was. It was. So a, it's illegal. That's it what was, we it did. Was, it was okay. illegal. For it was those a, who don't, you've you've used the letters ICO. Pre ICO. A pre ICO is is the nomenclature, and Janice can can say better. But that that's what they called. Um, before the interim control ordinance, without getting too deep into regulation, okay. they're the they're the dispensaries that are actually licensed right now. And what Janice okay. was, that was what they were called before. Now yeah. they're existing medical there, there marijuana There tends to be a lot of um, alphabet soup shorthand throughout here. That's that, you know, the, remember the general public has no soup. idea what, what that is. So this is crazy. I became a very small cultivator, second harvest, raided by the cops. Uh, then I became a manufacturer of a brand called Garden of Whedon. I was a medical patient, and I noticed that there weren't very many healthy options out there. Uh, you know, I, I figured that, you know, people, sh cancer patients shouldn't be eating candy. I thought that me as, you know, someone with digestive problems wouldn't necessarily do great with high sugar and artificial things. So I created this uh, line called Garden of Whedon, which was medicated dried fruit. It still has Love sugars. Still has sugars in it. Thank you. And I, uh, as, as I said, <laughs> I, I won an edibles list award. I got into a couple stores and I didn't want to do it anymore. It was just, I didn't have the money. It was more of a passion project. I. You know, it, it was exciting to, to lab test then and to make sure that my oil was clean and to make sure the patients, and I, it was crazy. I got a text yesterday of someone that asked if it was still around and if I have any bags, it's been years. <laughs> so then at you that point- You still have the recipe. Yeah, I still have the, kind of. So I, <laughs> I've, I've really wanted to, um, I, met, I met an attorney at the time and started working with attorneys because it was explained to me that everything is legal in California and Los Angeles, and then I realized that it's not. Then I realized that not even close. Not even close. That businesses <laughs> businesses are are being um, treated like not only criminals, but the uh, that there there was no legal leg to stand on. And I I really as the medical regulations came down, I really you know felt that I was more interested in the advocacy side in in, in fighting for businesses, fighting for small businesses, fighting for existing businesses in Los Angeles. You know, I, I saw this amazing industry and, and all this good that we could do from it. So I started, I helped found an organization called the LA Cannabis Task Force, which at its peak represented about 400 non-retail businesses in LA. But mm -hmm. the, the goal was to, you know, we were starting those, those social equity conversations. We were really having um, conversations about women-owned businesses, about protecting small businesses, about allowing a marketplace where there is space for that. You know, unfortunately, we don't, we don't necessarily have that right now. Um, and about a few years later, I was in a, a loose coalition with, with a group, including the UCBA, which, uh, as Janice was saying, in uh, 2017, 2016, I'm sorry, they put, um, 
they collected 114,000 signatures and collected and, and really raised about $1.4 million to put Measure N on the ballot in Los Angeles, which forced the city to create Measure M. In exchange for that, to have taken Measure N off of the ballot, they uh, gave priority processing to the existing dispensaries, and that's how, uh, that's uh, how Janice got her story. The, explain uh, M and N, what, what were those things? N, N was written by the industry, mm -hmm. M was written by the city. No, no, but I, what, what were they written to do? It was a matter of, it was, a, it was the difference was that N, N was forcing a regulatory structure on the city and how everything right. was going to look. And, and it was skewed in the direction of the existing dispensaries a, right. a, a little more than they wrote the measure, right? right? The city wanted something more open. And, you know, I really, a, after looking at it a couple of years later and seeing what's happened in the city of Los Angeles with the lack of licensing and the slow rollout of everything, I, I believe that if they didn't put that on the ballot, uh, and that was before I became executive director. If they didn't put that on the ballot, that there would be no licensing in L.A. right now. I, I couldn't imagine them actually doing something in L.A. unless it was probably in that direction, too, because, they're, you know, Janice, Janice said it really well. Like, prohibition is technically over, but, you know, the, we're, the industry is still treated with prohibitionist attitudes or, or like criminals. It's not, we're not there yet. When you ask the public to vote on something like that, you know, there are those of us who believe, and then there are those out there for whom you know this is this is Satan's own um, product, the devil's um, lettuce. <laughs> uh, they do call it that. And there's a brand too, I think. Yeah, yeah there is. <laughs> but how how tough is it to convince the public? This so this is the general public. There has been no consumer-facing campaign in the city of Los Angeles. People cannot tell the difference between a legal or an illegal dispensary. Okay. They cannot tell what has been lab tested, on it, you know, if a stored. There's just hasn't been that. And the, and the state finally got uh, about $1.7 million in funding, and they are starting to run a, a, a public-facing campaign for consumers, finally, to differentiate between legal and illegal and, and the practical things that a consumer would, and a reason why they would shop or buy legal yeah. and actually from the ucba we're working on a campaign now which is hashtag buy legal and we really and the bcc is going to be launching a campaign called i think hashtag Weedwise. so finally people are putting money into it i know that the the budget process is almost over in la and uh cat packer and the department of cannabis regulation are potentially getting seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to run their own campaign you know i'm very excited that we have been working with the bcc on on the other statewide campaign to really because the it's a when you, when you look at California, you look at the difference, differences between North and South. I mean, in L.A. versus other places, L.A. is like another state. It's like really dealing with another state, and it's really not only complex, but it's it's consumer-driven. It's it's a massive market. It's it's about the retailers. It's about this. It's about to an ex, to a large extent the supply chain, right? But also, you know, they grow up north. Is, is this a bigger market than than, Los a than San Francisco? Oh yeah. Okay. I just think of San Francisco as being much more. You know, I used to live there. San Francisco. It was. It was very. Has very a, has a great market because they did a uh, a tax amnesty program, which Nicole Elliott, mm -hmm. who is now in the governor's office, and she's kind of she's a, is the governor Newsom's senior advisor on cannabis. She was the czar in San Francisco, and they have had an amnesty program where they started with zero percent taxation. It's also. I need to get her phone number. She's yeah. amazing. <laughs> San Fran has just always been ahead they have, of anybody. Oh, they have lounges there. Yeah. They have no illicit market besides, you know, it's very hard to crack down on the delivery side, but on, on the storefront, if something pops up, it's gone in, in a second. Well, I've noticed um, I live in the Valley and I live amongst all those illegal stores, fronts that are out there, and literally within the last two weeks, they're gone. They really, they've all disappeared. How could you tell they were illegal? 
Um, just by what they do, you can tell. Um, I mean, you, the the Ruben, signs in front Ruben don't say we're illegal. More, but I'll speak to it from a consumer point of view. If they go, if you go in there and they pour out a jar of cannabis onto the counter and then they start touching it with their bare hands, uh-huh. major red flag. Okay. Um, you want it to be like your food. You want them to be wearing gloves. You want right. them to be. Most of them are prepackaged everything anyway. Everything is in prepackaged the back. now. Yeah. There's no. There is. The law in California has to have everything in the back, so you will see a sample in a box yeah. with the little holes, so you can smell it, look at it, and then they go in and they grab it out of a box, and you get it all packaged Hopefully up, it's sealed. The same thing. It is, Not and oregano. it's child resistant to ensure you're getting okay. a super safe experience once you take it out of the store. It's um, so they really. I want to go back to what Joanna yeah. said. So we've been working hand in hand with the city to figure out civil ways to close down dispensaries because it's not about recriminalizing the industry. It's I would love that job, by the way, <laughs> although I'm pretty sure it's dangerous. It's dangerous. No, and I, and I try, no, as an organization, I'm the executive director of it. I'm not, I'm not the, the, the poster child for, for, for shutting down illegal dispensaries <laughs> and running around like a cowboy. But what I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it's not about holding, raiding people and holding guns to, to employees' heads anymore. You know, we really were focused and what we wrote into Measure M was $20,000 a day fines for uh, property owners, uh, owners. That's what we were really trying to go after. I mean, the city didn't really use that. But what Joanna's talking about is that now they've been shutting the power off. DWP yes. has been shutting the power off. However, wow. however. So that's another red flag. If you go into a store and there's no power or they're running on a generator. Red flag. So it's not candles aren't like sexy and kind of atmospheric. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I've seen I'll sh- it. I'll show this to you guys afterwards, but I see I have a review uh, that I saved from Weed Maps from a dispensary who had their power shut off. Uh-huh. Um, and then it says, the lights are off and the butt tenders have flashlights. And then they're like, two or three days later, the lights came back on because they were running off of generators. I don't know if you guys also saw that David Goldstein piece that he did, I think, on NBC where he followed the dispensary filling uh, gas cans. And then going to the roof, and they said, "What are you doing?" And they said, "Oh, it's for our it's our motorbikes or something." Oh my god! It's for oh, our wow. dirt bikes, and he, they literally followed them. It was a little bit, it was a little bit crazy the the whole piece. But I didn't see that. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you guys after. But he literally followed them going up to the roof, filling their generators, going back down. <laughs> completely. I mean, it was a completely illegal illegal store, and you know we're. We just it's it, it has become a public safety and a public health. But the public issue. doesn't really know. No, the public doesn't know. From the and, outside, and it doesn't say illegal versus legal. No. Um, there's been there's been no work done to do that, and that's why the industry feels a, a bit abandoned because the city and the state are taking their tax money. I'm not. I'm not. Well, an operator. I want it because I'm I'm a mom of kids in elementary school. I send my kids to public school, and I want you know Measure E that just didn't pass. Like we need money in the schools, um, and this is a great way to bring it. But it goes into a general fund in LA. It goes into a general fund, but it was amazing because I had a member that said to me right after that it didn't pass. He said, and and the, and the and the mayor's looking for the funds, and he said that, wow, with Why? this shortfall in LA, imagine all the good that we could do. And this is, I have a member down in, uh, in an area. He's the only legal dispensary, and he's surrounded by 14 illegal ones. He has no, he has no leg to stand on. He's just, a, as, as a business owner, plus, you know, 
everything is half price everywhere else. We can yes. easily fix our schools if we just tapped into the cannabis tax revenue that's sitting there. It's over a hundred million a quarter just in LA oh County. My God. And growing each quarter as you shut down the illegal What's stores. What's the toughest thing to deal with in terms of the city of LA? Because, you know, I, uh, dealing with the city on any level about anything is, is a misery. And you do it all the that's time. That's why I wanted to get a job What's so you hardest? can deal with someone like me. What's the, what's I think the Joanna will be. I think that's the, that's the secret sauce. We'll bring Joanna on, and it'll what, be great. What, what, Another what, an Emory grad will be perfect. What, yes, we're both Emory alumni what, too. What gets your stomach hurting when you're heading down for City Hall? My oh, my stomach doesn't hurt so much anymore <laughs> about it because of that cannabis. And my Crohn's is just kidding. I, I uh, the um, you can't take it so seriously. That it's it's a bit of a rickety system that has been built. Uh-huh. Um, we are trying to work hard together with the city to. To smooth it out. Is the word Jerry built here? Is that uh, I'm sad. Yeah. I sa- you know, I hate to say this, and 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 I'm not rolling over because we're fighting and pushing, and I'm not just just pacifying and going along with with everything that that you know people want to do when I say that the city because we are you know they serve on behalf of the people, right? Right. Um, but it it is it is frustrating that um, the Department of Cannabis Regulation hasn't necessarily been funded. Uh, they were having issues with employees before, and just the infrastructure has has been shaky. And the, I think the fundamental problem was that the market, in the gray market, is and was so big in Los Angeles, and to treat it like it didn't exist there and try to start this thing new was was a complete mistake. It, it just it it disenfranchised so many people, and it just it it, it it just complicated everything. Is there a point at which this will actually work, at which things? Yeah. Your, your your group will basically just be a relaxed group that has the occasional coffee get-together. Does the federal law have to change? That's really what it is. We, we, need, we need a lot. We need a lot of help, especially inside of Los Angeles. There's, uh, when we talk about enforcement, there are many people that inside the city and, and there's, you know, fingers pointed in different directions. They don't, it's... It, it's a complicated conversation, and it also comes back to, to funding. And then, you know, we worked with the city to get $12 million into the budget, which which should be released in, in the beginning of the next year, uh, the next fiscal year. Um, they will have their money. Mm-hmm. They know there there's always reasons why it can't be done, but we have created these civil things, as in shutting the power off, DW, yeah. DW, with the DWP, Department of Building and Safety. There was something floating around out there where they were, after they shut the power off, they were going to padlock these stores. Um, there's the, the fines to the owners. They, there has been, you know, the finally the city attorney's office went after one, one broker, one landlord. I don't know if you saw that story. So it's a the few real estate ago. owner versus the person who's renting it out as their store. So they're going both. It's it's a it's a grand. Uh, but they're getting the landowners because they're the ones who are agreeing. They to have it. they haven't been getting the they haven't been getting the property owners, and we have been hitting our head against a wall over and over again, screaming why they haven't done that to the general public. The general public just wants to know the where the should they go, what's good stuff, you know, all, all these details which affect the general public. It's not saying the general public. The general public is so confused by the complexities of cannabis and the that, gen- that, yeah. that they, don't even, they don't even concentrate on this. Well, there's even a website you can go to and you would think it would tell you which ones are the licensed ones. But up until like a week ago, there were a lot more on the website versus today where you would go look they've taken all the illegals off but as a consumer you don't that's you assume that that's a trusted resource to tell you where to go you just want a good product at a good price that works so the so the BCC is starting a uh, another campaign with called I think capotcheck.com where they're going to have a website where you can actually check to see if dispensaries are legal or illegal 
Uh, right now with the UCBA, we're also, we sponsored a bill, uh, our author is Assembly Member Blanca Rubio uh, at the at the state, AB, Assembly Bill AB 1417, which was very geared to go after illegal advertising. Uh, the focus was to to hold those technology platforms, and I'm not going to beat around the bush, but, you know, it, it was a weed maps conversation to, to say that, you know, the consumer does not know the difference when they go on weed maps. They don't know the difference between what's legal and illegal, and weed maps is not differentiating the legal versus illegal. Yeah. And what we're not saying is we don't want weed maps to go out of business. This is not, it's not a personal thing, but it, it's almost, we're at this point and it's behave. They need you know, to be the authority. Need, they need to be authority. They, they, you know, they, they, are, they need to be responsible for what they're doing on, to create issues with public safety and public health because there, are, there have been shootings and there have been there have been murders at, at dispensaries, and, and there's been crime going with alongside illegal dispensaries. You know all this untested product. I see reviews all over Weebnuts that people say I got sick or this happened or nothing happened or nothing happened. Or whatever, it was whatever it was, you know, it. We need to be rowing in the same direction, but business interests are business interests, right? You know, Ruben there's always saying, someone who messes the, it up. At the beginning of the show, I said this was a maze, and. The maze has gotten, if anything, even more complicated. But Ruben, you are working hard to negotiate the maze. The the Rubik's cube is almost done, and thank you for that. It's, this is Meryl Schindler with Behind the Hog, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> thank you. We <laughs> handed Blake breaking bulletins. Uh, Ruben Honig, who is the executive director of the United Cannabis Business Association, who's bringing lights to an awful lot of darkness out there and thank you for that and remember you can hear us every week on Apple Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher and High on the Hog the podcast dot com um, can I do one plug of course you can do a plug I would love to do one plug we okay. have uh, the UCBA has our second annual policy summit at the Montalban Theater on June 21st we're going to have leadership throughout uh, California um, we are going to have the Lori Ajax, Cat Packer, Fiona Ma, uh, Nicole Elliott, like we were talking about, is, is going to be there speaking as well. Um, and how do people get okay, the public go to, UC, go, to go to UCBA.com and you UC, can see UCBA.com UCBA and sign up to receive our emails and, and you'll get an invite and a, and a half price code. It only costs $25, but we want people to be accessible for everybody. Ruben Holden, thank you very much. I thank you everyone for listening in to High in the Hog, the podcast. It's Meryl Schindler. I'll catch you next week.